Our scripture reading for today is 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, Chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Uh, please pray with me. Lord, let your word go forth now with all of its promises and with all of its power. Change us through your word and so change God. Help us to give you thanks and all the glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
This is now the second in a series of sermons uh, I'll be preaching on the life of the prophet Elisha. Uh, last week we saw this uh, incredible, unforgettable feast that Elisha had for his family uh, to uh, thank and to celebrate before he left his old way of life to follow Elijah. Uh, someone much more uh, creative and uh, clever than me uh, shared with me last Sunday that Elisha's boiling of the oxen reminded him of the Korean dish, gorigomtang, oxtail soup, and that he got very hungry just thinking about it during the sermon. Well, four chapters have passed, many years have passed since Elisha boiled his oxen and began to follow Elijah in our reading. Elijah's life and ministry is coming to a close, and he's making now his final rounds around some key cities, and Elisha insists on accompanying him. So the two of them travel from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and finally to the Jordan River. Each of these locations uh, carry significance in the history of the people of Israel. Gilgal was the first place that the Israelites uh, camped after crossing the Jordan River. It's where they observed their first Passover. Bethel was where Jacob had the vision of the staircase uh, to heaven with the angels going up and down. And Jericho, of course, is that great place of victory, the first great victory of the people uh, when they enter the promised land. Um, but in addition to their historical significance, these places are also, during this time, uh, centers of prophetic worship, uh, schools, perhaps something like a seminary or a, a professional guild. And we see groups, 50 uh, sons of the prophets. Elijah had earlier whined about how he... And he only was left among all the people of God. And God is here reassuring him with these many prophets that God's word will always be present with his people. Then after visiting the three cities, they arrive at the Jordan River. And Elijah rose up his cloak into the shape of a rod. And he strikes the water, reminiscent of what Moses had done. And it parts, just as the Red Sea had parted many, many years ago just like when Joshua crossed the Jordan on dry land many, many years ago. And so here on the other side of the promised land, this incredible vision, a fiery chariot and fiery horses separate the two men in a fiery blaze, and then a whirlwind takes Elijah up to heaven, just leaving his cloak behind. It's another one of those unforgettable scenes, moments in the life of Elijah, and one that is captured by many, many artists. Um, there's so many paintings of this scene, uh, not so many pictures of Elisha's life, but here's just one more in the life of Elijah. Uh, back in 1981, some of you uh, might remember there was a movie uh, with the title Chariots of Fire, which won the, the Best Picture Academy Award that year. Uh, singers like Rich Mullins and uh, Chai Coltrane have songs about Elijah with a shared refrain, when I go, I want to go like Elijah, right? That people have this um, dream, perhaps, that when it's time for them to go, they don't want to just kind of maybe slowly waste away, but to go up in glory and chariots of fire in a whirlwind. Uh, understandably for Elisha, this is an overwhelming moment. He tears his clothes in two, 
in a gesture of grief as he is forcibly separated from Elijah. And for me, this scene always reminds me of the first Star Wars movie back in 1977, so-called Episode Four. Remember the scene where um, Obi-Wan Kenobi is fighting Darth Vader on the original Death Star, and um, Darth Vader strikes Obi-Wan, and he kind of disappears, and just his cloak falls to the ground. And, and Luke and the, nobody remembers, okay. <laughs> wow. Um, that's, for, that's a really good scene. Um, and then um, Luke wants to stay and fight, but, but he has to get away to fight another day. And I think, you know, for me, that's what Elisha is doing here. Like, he's in agony. He's just lost his uh, mentor. He, he's taken up, and all that remains behind is the cloak. And so he, he picks it up. He crosses or recrosses the Jordan River. And on the other side, the other prophets see him without Elijah, and they acknowledge now that the baton of leadership or the, the cloak of leadership has passed from Elijah to Elisha, and they declare the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Now today uh, is Confirmation Sunday. Uh, we're gonna have some students uh, reaffirm uh, their vows that were made on their behalf uh, at the time of their baptism as well as uh, someone uh, who will be uh, baptized uh, today uh, as a step of discipleship and faith. And so I want to make just a couple of reflections with you all um, about discipleship that does apply to all of us, but I want to especially uh, offer these words uh, to our confirmands. First, I want you to notice here that Elisha walked with Elijah. Even though Elijah did everything he could do to get rid of him, he stayed with him. For those of you who are fans of uh, the Lord of the Rings, Elisha is Samwise Gamgee. When Frodo wanted to go, and as difficult as Frodo was, and as much as Frodo wanted to make the journey to Mount Mordor by himself, Sam always stuck with him and went all the way to the mount. That's Elisha. Or for those of you who are fans of the Bible, uh, we have a same example uh, in the story of Ruth. Remember uh, Ruth? Naomi wanted to go back to Bethlehem, and she told her daughters-in-law, stay here, just stay here, leave me alone, I'm going to go back by myself. And uh, Ruth said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with you. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. For where you go, I will go. Right? I mean, she was going to just stay with her no matter what. And she said, you know, nothing's going to separate me from staying with you except for death. That's what Elisha is doing here. He's insisting on staying by Elijah's side. He stayed with him knowing that this was the end. Walking with someone in the last years of their life, the last months of their life, the last days of their lives, some of you who have walked with, uh, with either a parent or a grandparent in, in the last stages of life, I mean, that's, a, that's a tough time to stay, stay by their side. And here's Elisha walking till the very end. He knew that Elijah was going to leave him but he walked with him into the unknown, into death, into grief that he knew was awaiting him. And he stayed with him, even though Elijah made it so difficult for him to stay with him. He had several opportunities to bail, to leave him and save face, right? Elijah gave him an out, like, just to stay here. And each time, he stuck by him with the oath, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. He stayed with him until the chariot of fire separated them. Until that very moment, he stayed with him. 
That's incredible commitment. And I think what's remarkable about Elisha is that he stayed with Elijah, even though, to put it kind of bluntly, Elijah was he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> That's the way I'm reading him. He was not much of a mentor. Elijah was a mighty, mighty prophet, no question. But he was no Mr. Miyagi. He may have been brave, challenging the kings of Israel, speaking to power and so on, but he also comes across as a loner, melancholic, and prone to depression. He's not the guy who'd be teaching pastoral care. He's not the first person you think of that you'd want to get mentored by. He shows almost no interest in taking Elisha under his wings, even though God had told him. He makes almost no effort to teach him the ropes. Last week, remember when God told him to anoint Elisha? Remember what he did? He just kind of walked by. Even though God said, you know, I'm going to give you help because you need help. Elijah just, you know, he saw Elisha and he just kind of threw his cloak at him and kept walking to get out of there as fast as he could. I mean, who does that? Who does that? Toddlers, that's what, right? I can remember uh, when, when our kids were little and one of them uh, would be, you know, playing with some toy. And my wife and I would say, you know, share because we could see the other two were crying because they wanted to play with that particular toy. And um, he or she would say, it's mine, I got it first, I, you, know, you know? And we would plead and we would beg and we would cajole and we would like offer some sort of reward later and eventually we would end up threatening them to share. And then finally he or she would just kind of toss their toy at them, right? That, that's what Elijah does. That's how he treats Elisha. Today, we see him wanting, again, to be just left alone. He just wants to get away from him. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Three times he tells him, stay here, leave me alone. And it's only when he realized that Elisha was not going to leave him alone, it's like he finally says, oh, fine, what do you want? And Elisha says, I want a double portion. Elisha is like Jacob, wrestling with God, refusing to let go until he receives a blessing. Now, Elisha's request for a double portion should not be understood as a request to be, you know, maybe twice the prophet that Elijah was. Uh, some rabbinic tradition interpret this double portion, insisting that the number of miracles that Elisha will perform is exactly twice as many as the miracles performed by Elijah in the scriptures. But really, there's a much simpler explanation. The double portion is an allusion to their practice where the firstborn son would receive double the amount of inheritance than all the other children, right? So if you have three kids, the first kid would get half of the family inheritance, and then the other two would get a quarter. So that's what Elisha is asking for. In other words, he wants to be recognized as the legitimate and principal heir of the prophetic office. Maybe there is something of earthly ambition in here, but I tend to think that he's just asking for acknowledgement, legitimacy, blessing, to fulfill the call that Elijah himself had anointed him from the very beginning. He wants to be the one to carry out the ministry and the legacy of Elijah. He's saying, I want to do what you did, and I need you to you know, bless me and to let, give me that authority. I want the responsibility to fulfill this ministry. 
And here, Elijah could have said so many things, right? He could have said, man, that is awesome, dude. I'm so glad you want to do this. You've been faithful. You know, you've been my right-hand man. I'm so glad God called you. I'm so thankful that you want to keep doing this, even though you know how hard it is. Man, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. Here, take my cloak, you know, keep it going, fighting. Like he could have done so many things to encourage and to bless Elisha. But what does he do? It'll be hard. And, but, you know, if you stick around, maybe you'll see something. I don't know about you, but when I look back on my life, I can think of some teachers and leaders and bosses uh, who are a little bit like Elijah. I've had a few, and um, I probably complained too much, and it was easy and convenient to blame them for whatever shortcomings I might have had. Um, many of you attended the parenting seminar last Sunday, and the speaker shared about how so many children of immigrant parents in this country, especially East Asian parents, you know that uh, our parents, uh, mine included, uh, were not very good about nurturing our emotional lives, right? That first-generation immigrant Asian parents, typically, were not very good about that because, one, they were in just survival mode. They were just trying to survive. And secondly, you know, nurturing the emotional lives of their children, that's not a thing, <laughs> right? And so that many of us uh, grew up uh, without a lot of help in processing our emotions. And it would be very easy to blame whatever emotional dysfunctions we have on our parents. And maybe some of it is right. But just remember that your kids are going to do the same to you. And rightly so, right? And I think what Elisha teaches me here is that I am still responsible. That I am still responsible. Even if my mentor or my parents or other authority figures, pastors, teachers, didn't do a great job, I can still take responsibility for my discipleship. I can always choose the hard thing. I can always choose to be faithful to the people around me. I can serve. I can choose to love, even if I don't receive that in return. I can still learn from those who might not be interested in helping me or teaching me, from those personalities that are prickly or dismissive. And I can do that because I have confidence that God is the one who has called me. Not the Elishas or the Elijahs of the world, but it is God who has called me. And so I want to just remind you that each and every one of you has been called by God. God has called you to belong to Jesus Christ. God has called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. God has called you to be his holy people and to persevere in the faith. God has called you to one hope. God has called you to the hope of the resurrection and eternal life that is in Jesus Christ. God has called you to be faithful in the work and in the people that you are surrounded with. Whatever you do, we are told to do with all of our hearts as unto the Lord. Because God has given each of us different abilities and interests. And we are called to offer that as a living sacrifice in fulfillment of our calling. And our confirmants today are acknowledging publicly that calling. And they're declaring that they will take it upon themselves to follow Jesus no matter what. 
Maybe you're not aware that's what you're doing today, but that's what you're doing today. Even though your senior pastor is not very cool, and he may even inadvertently act like an Elijah, even though you may be discouraged by members of this church and by other churches that you may join later in life, you are choosing today to be faithful and to answer the call to follow Jesus. You're choosing that for yourself. You have to know that you have been called by God. You have been loved and you've been saved for a purpose. Not necessarily to some ordained ministry or anything like that, but each and every one of you has been called to follow Jesus, to love God, and to love others. So confirmance, my prayer for you is that you will desire, that you will desire a double portion, that you will want to carry on the ministry and the legacy of this church and the faith of your parents and your grandparents and others in your life, that you know that this might be hard, but that you will still choose this way of life, this faith. And for all the parents and all the members of this church, isn't this what we want for our children, for all the children of our church? That they will carry on the faith that we ourselves have received by grace? Or shouldn't we want that for them? So I want to just call upon the whole church today to take the opportunity don't be like Elijah, but rather encourage our confirmands this day forward to support them in their walk. The second reflection I want to leave with you today is that we here see that Elisha picked up the cloak. He picked up the cloak. He didn't pick it up just because he just ripped his shirt and he needs a new shirt. In his grief, perhaps in the fear of seeing a fiery chariot, he could have left that cloak. He could have walked away. He could have decided, you know what? This is too hard. This is too crazy and scary. I don't want this anymore. He could have walked away. He could have quit. I mean, it's very hard to follow in the footsteps of someone like Elijah, someone who is so much larger than life, someone who calls upon God and fire comes down. It is very hard to follow someone like that. How do you follow Moses? How do you follow Elijah? How do you follow Tom Brady in New England? It's hard. But Elisha chose to pick up the cloak. And I think you have to make that choice. And look at what Elisha did. The first thing he did was to imitate what Elijah had done. Elisha gets to the river, to the River Jordan, and he probably took that cloak and he probably made it into a rod like he had seen Elijah do just a little bit earlier. And he struck the Jordan River thinking it's going to divide. And I think the most interesting part of this story for me is that this was an unnecessary miracle. The Jordan River is relatively shallow and relatively narrow. You could wade across the river. Yeah, you get a little wet, but you can, you can walk across the river. There's no real need to divide the water, right? He had options. Maybe there's a bridge. Maybe there's a boat. He could wade across or take a little swim. But Elisha does what he saw his master do. And isn't that how we all start in our jobs, in school, in our discipleship? in our parenting, we just do 
whatever we saw the people ahead of us do. I know that's what I did. Um, when I first started preaching, uh, I imitated uh, what other preachers were doing, you know, my favorite preachers. I would try to structure my uh, sermons. Um, <laughs> I mean, I once tried to imitate the cadence of Billy Graham, you know, because I really liked him. And it was pretty disastrous, as you might imagine, you know, a fake Southern accent in there. Um, <laughs> And when I first started doing like youth ministry, I didn't know how to do youth ministry, but I did what I could kind of remember what my youth pastor sort of did. Uh, when my wife and I started parenting our kids, uh, I did what I thought my parents did, you know, and she did what she thought her parents did, and sometimes it didn't quite work together. But that, that's our default, right? When, when we're starting something new, we do just what we think was done to us or what we experienced. We mimic, and that's what Elisha is doing here. That's the only way to begin. That's the only way to begin our discipleship. And I know for the confirmands, you know, I gave them a lot of stuff to do. Like, here's the way to do it. And you just kind of do it by rote without maybe not fully understanding. And what the text suggests here is that when Elisha first struck the water, the Jordan River did not divide. And so then Elisha asks, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He's wondering, why isn't this working? I rolled up the cloak just like Elijah did. I struck it the same way he did. Why isn't the water dividing? God, aren't you here with me? Why aren't you working for me like you did for Elijah? And then he strikes the water a second time, and the second time, the waters divide, and he's able to walk across. And I think this is what Elisha learned. Faith is not a magical power. It's not some secret incantation that you get to speak. It's not the matter of rolling up the cloak just right. It's not about doing certain rituals, you know, in a certain way. It's not about hitting the water at the, at the right angle, at the right amount of force or anything like that. It's not the cloak. It's not the cloak. It's the man or the woman who calls upon the living God. It's calling upon God in prayer and then trying again. I think Elisha discovers for himself in that brief prayer that God is still there, that the God of Elijah is the God of Elisha. God is present now as he was before. You know, one of the things that I've been emphasizing over the last several years with our confirmation students is to develop a habit of having daily, regular, quiet times. Because faith, again, faith is supernatural, but it is not magical. It's nurtured through worship and community and personal discipleship. It's formed by carving out times where, where you spend that time in prayer, in scripture reading, to hear from God. And many days, as you read and as you pray, you're not going to feel anything. You're not going to feel, it. oh, this was so spiritual. It doesn't work that way. Many days it will be hard. It will be hard. But it's the surest way to spiritual growth. And unless you spend that time in the word and in prayer asking God, where are you, God? You cannot bear fruit. So confirmance, this is my charge and my encouragement to you. Right now in the beginning, just mimic the faith of the people around you. Be as faithful as you can. Do what you see the others around you 
older siblings, parents, other people in the church, your pastors, teachers. Read the Bible, pray, worship, copy the people. And you may find that sometimes or perhaps often, it's not making any difference in your life or in the lives of others. You may not feel like you're growing or being very spiritual. You may wonder what you're doing wrong because the waters are not dividing. You may wonder, why aren't my prayers being answered? Where is the Lord? Might be a question that you will ask. And my encouragement and charge to you is keep at it. Keep at it. Keep striking the waters again and again and call upon the Lord. Keep on praying. Keep on reading. Keep on worshiping. Keep on showing up. Keep on walking with others in the faith, even if they're prickly, even if they don't want you around. Keep on walking with others in the faith and keep on asking for that double portion. Keep on declaring the faith as you are going to declare today. And know that you are called. Know that the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is surely with you as the Spirit was with Elijah and Elisha. And I and the whole church with me today declare to you, the Spirit of the Lord is with you now and forever. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you especially for our uh, confirmands who are going to declare today their decision to follow you. So God, would you help them remember this day and the promises they make this day? For we know that without you, no promise is sure. And would you help all of us to continue to encourage them, continue to nurture their faith, continue to recognize and acknowledge that the Spirit of the Lord is upon them so that they may grow in faith and in love, in grace, and build your kingdom, be a blessing to others, and have the confidence, to have the confidence that they are loved and called into your kingdom now and forever. We thank you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.